friend, the stranger in the black sedan Won't you hop inside my car? Got pictures, got candy, I'm a local man Take it to the nearest star I'm your vehicle, baby I'll take it anywhere you wanna go I'm Hello, welcome to Unfrozen Episode number 50 Much like the Super Bowl, we've changed the, n- the numbering this time around So it's not Unfrozen L um, but no, welcome to, uh, ep- welcome to episode number 50. I'm your co-host, Greg Lindsay, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Daniel Safarik. Dan. Hello, Greg. Uh, today, uh, we have a great episode. Uh, we are speaking to Adam Lubinsky. He is a principal at the WXY studio, where he leads a range of planning studies, strategic visions, and master plans, and he's created a new practice area that addresses mobility, and that's the thing that we're most interested in hearing about from him today. Uh, He has just authored a detailed 5,000-word report for the American Planning Association on equity and EV charging infrastructure. That's electric vehicle charging infrastructure. Adam, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. So this is really interesting. Uh, You know, as we are starting to see more electric vehicles penetrate into cities, I think this. I think the issue of equity is not something that probably is top of mind for most people. A lot of people probably still think of you know, the relative lack of EV charging stations and range anxiety and things like that as a rich person's problem. You know, uh, electric cars are still pretty expensive, um, and a lot of times the response to scarcity seems to be if they want to sell more Teslas, they should install more charging stations. But you're arguing otherwise um, in your report. You say that the U.S. alone will need 30 million chargers by 2030 in order to meet the target 50% zero-emission vehicle sales by that year, uh, 1.2 million of which should be public. Is, is this an attempt to get ahead of the future affordability of EVs? Well, I, I think it's all a part of getting our transition uh, going into clean transportation. You know, there's not really going to be a way to, to get there. You know, transportation is such a big chunk of the uh, of the challenge when it comes to meeting our climate change challenges, and we have you know almost forty percent of the people in this country don't have access to a garage or a space to park a car, and so in order for those people to have an electric vehicle uh, and get out into the world, it's going to help a lot to have a public charging infrastructure. Um, so it's it's that is like. Challenge number one is how do you meet the need of all of these people who don't have easy access to charging? And then the the second part of this, uh, which you started with, which is the equity piece, is also seeing it not just from a climate perspective, but from an air quality perspective. You know, uh, we want to avoid a challenge where we have people who live in areas of a city that have clean area air and uh, people who live in areas of a city with dirty air. We have a lot of people who um, develop health problems based on tailpipe emissions. We want to save those lives and really, you know, have much more equitable uh, neighborhoods within our cities. So thank you for that. Um, I guess the question then becomes, if this, is a, if this is a public access issue, who should pay for these chargers and at what level of government? Um, are there partnership opportunities with private providers or... What do you foresee as the financing model to make sure that there is some even distribution of of chargers in in, in the public streets? Yeah, I, I think it's going to have to be partnership 
relationships between federal government and car companies, also getting utilities involved. You know, obviously they are providing electricity, so they have a, a part of this as well um, in order to get there. I mean, the first steps have, um, you know, been taken by the federal government. And, uh, you know, really the Biden administration has made um, some real efforts uh, in that in that direction. The, the infrastructure deal looked at investing $7.5 billion uh, to get a goal of uh, 500,000 EV chargers um, out there. So, um, but it's really got to happen in, in partnership. I think, you know, everybody agrees that, you know, the delivery of um, uh, climate change actions is going to require market-driven uh, and, and uh, partnership efforts to get there. And you're mentioning that there are basically three different types of chargers that are out there in the market. Uh, level one being approximately 120 volts, sort of like what you would find in your you know, home outlet or your garage, if you have a garage. There's 240 volts, which is the most common. That's level two. And then level three is the 480 volt. W- which ones are you talking about here will be most appropriate? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I mean, in a lot of the work that we've been involved with, the focus has been on level two chargers. Level one is really just, you know, what you've got in your house when you plug in your lamp, you know, and uh, it takes a long time to charge a car that way. But if we're talking about a publicly accessible charger, something that's on street or in a public char- uh, you know, parking lot, we're really focused more on the level two chargers for a couple of reasons. One, um, it, they're less expensive than the fast level three chargers. Uh, that makes them easier to install. You're going to get more of them. Um, but there are also uh, some basic kind of advantages in a way to using level two chargers. Um, you're not creating this, you know, immense uh, uh, demand on the system, you know, something that's going to be charging in 15 minutes. Um, and so what it allows is uh, for you to balance the loads on the power station. So if people are charging at nighttime, you know, it, you're able to balance the power loads. You know, if, if everybody gets reliant on these fast chargers, um, it's going to represent, you know, significant demands, people wanting to, you know, charge all at peak times. So really, we've been looking more at level two chargers based on the expense and the ease of installing them. Uh, and then starting to look at the right parking conditions where people, you know, may park for two, four, six hours in order to get the charge they need from a level two charger. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I say, Adam, it's really this is a really fun conversation for me because when I was the host of the Commotion podcast, these are the kinds of guests I would have on all the time. So it's really fun to continue this on on our architecture podcast. But that that brings me to the obvious question here, which I'm curious, like, what do you bring to it? Your perspective and skill set are you bringing to it as architects and designers versus an infrastructure company or someone else? And I'm curiously how you're thinking about this holistically too, because you mentioned parking and. You know, in addition to the technical specs and the various companies, we're seeing Starbucks and others, for example, are trying to make bids to become charging, basically trying to tie up what uh, gas stations once were, thinking about these kinds of new infrastructures. So I'm curious, like, what's the scope of your practice in this? And how do you approach it as a designer to think about all these systems fit together? Yeah, well, I love that question. And I don't, I also don't want to get out of my lane in terms of, no, no pun intended, you know, getting into all of these heavy grid uh, related questions. But I think, you know, 
I really like to embrace uh, the notion of a planner in a really broad way. You know, that can include thinking about economic development. You know, what does it mean for a retailer to have a charging station near them? You know, does it help their business? Does it have an impact on them because people may park there for longer? So there is that uh, element to it. You know, what does this mean for businesses or residential areas? You know, if, you know, suddenly EVs are going to be taking over other kinds of parking spaces. So there's clearly a, a kind of economic development tie-in to this, which is important. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, there is the more kind of, you know, typical planner lens, which is, you know, how does this fit within society? How do you begin to make strategic decisions? And that's where, you know, wearing an equity lens becomes important. You know, how do we begin taking a data-driven approach to citing these things, looking at, you know, transportation availability. You don't want to stick lots of charging stations next to public transportation because you don't want to induce more driving. And you want to place these where lots of people are commuting anyway. And so you tap into the most vehicle miles traveled and you want to put it where people don't have access to parking spaces. So there's all of these sort of planning lenses. Um, there are other lenses too, which gets into the level and WXY is quite good at it, which is, you know, moving from planning into urban design. How does it fit on the streetscape? You know, um, does it go on a residential street? Does it go on a main street? You know, how does that affect traffic? How does it affect someone who's going to charge? Are they going to have to step out into a moving lane to, you know, to put, you know, the charger in place? So, you know, how does it sit on the sidewalk where in New York City, at least, we've got lots of other kinds of street furniture, signage and benches and fire hydrants and tree pits. So what I do love about, you know, this challenge of planning for EV infrastructure is all of these different dimensions from the kind of tents and feet up, you know, where do we put these things? What kind of neighborhoods? How does this fit with an environmental justice conversation to the economic development piece? And then also just to that urban design piece, making it fit within the streetscape. And I think design really is about working within constraints, right? I mean, it's about being given a set of constraints and then designing the best possible solution. And you certainly have that here uh, when we're talking about citing these these charging systems, because it seems like a very simple thing. It's like, oh yes, we'll just put it wherever there's already an electrical outlet. But then you have to consider how big a car is and how much space it takes up and how long it's gonna be there. I mean, thinking about street siting, you're saying, I think in this report, that EV stations need roughly 40 feet of roadway. That's two parking spaces in order to be accessible. Is there an opportunity to site them near some of the reclaimed parking areas, for instance, that were transferred to street seating during the pandemic or some combination with reserved bike or bus lanes, understanding your previous comment about, okay, we don't want to disincentivize biking or taking the bus, nor do we want to block those lanes. I'm just thinking about places where parking has already been taken away from the streetscape. So I wonder if you'd th thought about like, what is the, what is the ideal condition? Cause it's almost sort of seems like with left-hand driving, it has to be on the left side of a one-way street. And now you're talking about a very small number of possible spaces. Yeah, so many questions there, but um, we love digging into this stuff. And I, I also, I should say, this is uh, very much for a New York City audience, right? Because, you know, these conditions 
very all over the place. Um, but, you know, in New York City, I think um, thinking about uh, a charging station that has two ports to it. So that's serving two vehicles at once. So that's that's where the 40 feet comes from. There are you know places in the city. And so just for context, you know, uh, WXY worked on a plan with uh, the Department of Transportation um, that was, oh, I think started in 2019 and has resulted in about 100 on-street chargers being put in place. That work uh, was built off of a report that we did called Curb Enthusiasm, um, which was, you know, we're excited about this stuff. Uh, where do we put it? And that was that was paid for by NYSERDA, the New York State Energy Research Development Agency. And so, you know, we had spent a lot of time thinking by the time, you know, these things really started rolling out during the pandemic as to, as to where to put them. One of the, uh, I mean, there are many ways of, of uh, speaking to your question, you know, in terms of basic location, like what kind of street uh, should these go on? A lot of time, we've been, most, most indications have been not to put them on sort of main street where there are bus lanes, you know, or uh, bicycle, you know, separated bike lanes. Um, but really, we've looked often adjacent to a kind of typical retail main street, you know, just sort of perpendicular to them to a street that may lead into a residential street. And so that way, where one, the streets are a little simpler, you know, there's a little bit less unloading or buses or, you know, separated bike lanes going on or restaurant activity, you know, on uh, curbside restaurant activity. So we've looked at, at those, what we called in our report, spur streets. They were kind of, you know, adjacent to and perpendicular to retail main streets. Um, and the advantage is to, to that where we were kind of catching two audiences. We were catching an audience that was, you know, perhaps um, using the main street and parking on the main street, but it could also catch the evening crowd, you know, or people coming back, you know, commuting back from uh, work and who live nearby. And that's one of the things we've really emphasized with our planning is how do we site, you know, these charging stations where we're kind of, um, you know, at places where multiple land uses butt up against each other. You know, I like to look at it in a kind of biological way. There's a there's a great term called an ecotone, which is that stretch along a coast uh, that's very uh, uh, has lots of different species there. And and so in a way, from a land use perspective, we want to have lots of different user types there. You know, people who are commuting back home and they're and it's your residential area uh, or, you know, visiting a main street. So we're trying to catch multiple audiences, but do it in a kind of simpler street condition. I can keep rolling. You asked a couple other questions too, you know, about, you know, which side of the street. I mean, I actually, um, non-intentionally, DOT cited a charging station right in front of my apartment building. Um, that's um, another kind of use that we've offered, or kind of typical like location that we've defined, which is near a destination. Um, we want to catch people who are driving to, a ball field like New York State, you know, Yankee Stadium, or a big park like Prospect Park, which is what I live nearby. And that particular charging station is on the right-hand side of the road. It's a one-way street. Um, but the charging uh, station company that New York City DOT and Con Ed work with um, is, uh, it's a group called Flow. They're very tall. 
and they actually have very long cables. So they are capable of stretching to the other side uh, of a vehicle. So you can plug in, you know, from the right hand side of the vehicle or the left hand side of the vehicle. You know, there the, the only challenge is, of course, that people need to be careful, you know, if you're going to, you know, be close to a moving lane when you when you plug in your vehicle. Um, but there was yeah, definitely a lot of consideration from the Department of Transportation on how uh, to site uh, these stations, you know, bringing in a lot of the guidance that we worked through with them. I mean, thinking about um, a place that's making, let's t- see if we can take the discussion a little bit less New York City centric because those are unique conditions that you have there. I'm picturing, you know, a, a densely populated but transit poor kind of condition where it was a single family home development. I think of places like Cicero, Illinois, an inner ring uh, suburb of Chicago. Uh, or even a lot of neighborhoods in, in Los Angeles where you have uh, a lot of people who are piled into these houses. They're, you know, there are many more people living in the neighborhood than they were designed for, and they all have cars, and their jobs are dependent on those cars. Um, so what do we do in a situation like that where there's parking scarcity in, like, a single-family suburban home condition? Yeah, well... I do think in a lot of the context you're describing where there is uh, infill going on, that's, you know, maybe there's a change in zoning and they're allowing multifamily housing. Typically they're going to have a parking requirement. You know, I don't think it's, it's not too often where you'll get single family homes replaced by multifamily that don't require any parking at all. And so that brings in the zoning question, um, which um, we've, definitely been very active. We did a a large report for the city of Tucson looking at like, what are the appropriate kinds of zoning requirements you should have for multifamily housing? And, um, you know, really beginning to have requirements that say you need to pre-wire and in some cases build out um, that uh, amount of uh, EV ready uh, infrastructure. And so, you know, in New York City, you know, they, there was a city council ordinance, oh, from perhaps eight years ago that was looking at 20% uh, pre-wiring. There's often a distinction between uh, creating the wiring for parking spaces and then actually installing the charging stations. And that's, you know, sort of a readiness question and then a cost question to actually bring in the stations themselves. Um, but that's really, really critical. I mean, to, uh, you know, because you were talking about great, you know, Uh, question about places that are densifying and that is such a you know um, inner ring suburb issue today and they are incorporating some parking and you know we want to see some of that reduced but it's there to do that pre-wiring is so important because to retrofit a building is much much more expensive Um, and so that's you know that zoning question how to require it how to incentivize it for more you know thinking about bringing in car share, you know, on top of that, you know, to reduce parking uh, requirements, all of those things are, you know, part of the whole bundle of, of getting to where we need to get to. Adam, I want to jump in since Dan mentioned LA. I, so I was part of a team of architects with Woods Bagot that did a competition for the city of Los Angeles a couple of years ago called From Pump to Plug, which is sort of the inverse of what you're proposing. I would love to hear your thoughts on this because there it was Chris Hawthorne as the city's design op, chief design officer thinking about 
well, the, the rise of EVs will lead to the end of our gas station infrastructure, which is very different than New York in the sense of it's still very present. So I'm curious if you start thinking about that, like what will be erased from our landscape and how do we start thinking about productive reuse with the EV transition? And is that part of your practice as well? Absolutely. And, you know, there is definitely no one solution. There's no silver bullet to how to get more EV infrastructure. And then there's also, I'm not, I would never be hard and fast and say, we should only do level two charging and all, you know, in all circumstances. And so there have been a number of initiatives to kind of convert existing gas stations or to create sort of similar kind of charging hubs uh, for EVs. And there's definitely some value in that. You know, uh, you know, we live in a world now where a lot of people are giving up car ownership and they're shifting towards, you know, uh, some car share activity. And, you know, there's a whole world of uh, need for Uber drivers and other rideshare drivers to do quick charging. And, um, you know, uh, Uber and Lyft and other folks, they're really moving rapidly. I think it's by 2030, I want to say, towards having all EV fleets. Um, so what you're describing, there's certainly a place for it. Um, thinking about what that economic opportunity looks like, that goes a little bit out of my wheelhouse, but it brings up a lot of questions about, okay, how do you, how do you pair that, you know, uh, charging hub with whether it's retail convenience, uh, whether it's comfort station use, you know, how do you do that? Where do you locate those optimally? Um, those are great planning questions. And certainly there's a role for that. And there's a design question for that as well. It just makes me think of something I saw that just struck me as very funny. Um, the other day I was at a gas station in Chicago and, you know, they always have these screens that play all kinds of advertisements or weather reports or whatever. And they had this advertisement. It was Macklemore, the rapper, talking about how much he just loves gas station convenience stores and how you can get all this random stuff there. And I was kind of laughing at it because it's like, why would you be watching an ad for a gas station when you're already at a gas station and you already kind of know what it's all about? But thinking more about that, I was kind of like, well, this might be a way to sort of advance the conversation is to have PSAs, you know, not only on the literal gas station infrastructure, but kind of foretelling the change in all kinds of urban infrastructure. Um, you know, some of these Wi-Fi booths that have been set up uh, around uh, New York, you know, to replace the, the old phone booths. Um, I, I guess there's an opportunity for education here. I mean, do you, do you foresee that that there needs to be a bigger campaign about that electric vehicles are for everyone and that they're eventually going to replace gas stations, but not to panic. You can still buy your uh, energy drinks there. Yeah. Well, it's energy drinks, but it's also, you know, to Greg's point, there's a real design opportunity to, you know, the, these charging stations, these charging hubs, they're the best advertisement you can get, you know, just to really, you know, for people to see these uh, charging stations out there, or if it is a kind of, quasi pump station, you know, uh, hub, um, that that's what will, you know, one reduce the range anxiety and charging anxiety issues, but also to just make people understand that like, this is this is really happening. I mean, you know, people are expecting and Biden administration is planning on 50% of car sales to be eased by 2030. You know, we're up to 6% in 2022. When I started doing this stuff, you know, really 10 plus years ago, 
it was like a piddling percentage and it we're really on an upward curve so so i think getting the infrastructure out there you know starting to think about yes you know maybe there are these complementary activities at a charging hub that's that's all good but yeah we we definitely uh, need to start seeing this stuff in the public realm not just in people's garages you know where they're situating those things uh, themselves i'm also thinking about you know the just the um the way that uh, that these are deployed you know uh, could there be an opportunity to change the purpose somewhat of not just necessarily erase gas stations from the landscape as, as, as we were discussing earlier, but to repurpose them, you know, for something else, uh, I guess physically they still need to take up roughly the same amount of space, but I actually wonder about that because, you know, if you're reducing the net number of cars, maybe they don't require as much tarmac. Um, and maybe you can start, you know, using the fact that they are required places that people have to go, uh, to serve other community purpose besides just selling fuel? Well, I think um, definitely um, we're shaking up a number of the models for how EV charging might be provided. So just to get away a little bit from the kind of gas station vision, one is, you know, instead of uh, repurposing gas stations, how do we repurpose some of our, our existing infrastructure? So tying into street lamps, for example, for charging, that's a real, real thing. Um, you know, Los Angeles has been doing it. You know, uh, London uh, does it very seamlessly where they've just got a little plug that, you know, is on um, lampposts. So, you know, starting by thinking about, about how we repurpose some of our, of our existing power infrastructure is a really live conversation. And then there are other, you know, models and considerations out there where, you know, if you uh, don't have a, a garage um, or a parking space, you know, could you run underground from your, you know, vault in your basement, something to the curbside that allows you to charge and maybe other people could charge there. So, you know, that like where, uh, where could that be permissible? And Seattle has looked at some similar kinds of applications for people to, you know, and, and groups to install charging stations at the curbside, you know, it goes a little bit beyond sort of adopt a tree in your neighborhood, but you know, like, you know, what, how could we think differently about the delivery of this stuff in cities where we don't have the parking spaces to do it. So I think we don't totally know what the paradigms are. I mean, there are other models out there too, where instead of charging stations, you know, maybe you have, you know, someone who arrives in a van, you know, with a battery and like you just have mobile charging units. And and so there there are a number of different things percolating out there. And I'm sure we'll see lots of lots of variations. Half of them will die out and, and a number of them will take off. All right. So one question I have to ask Adam, and it feels it's sort of funny. It says a lot where like the dialogue is. This feels almost like a joke question, but I'm curious how you plan to account for autonomous vehicles. <laughs> a couple of years ago, this would have been a lot more serious question, but now, again, like I said, it feels almost, I feel sheepish in asking it. But there was a lot of speculative design around this. We were talking about gas stations, for example. I mean, I, I saw prototypes of, you know, imagining, uh, you know, parking garages repurposed into high volume turnaround, charging, buffing, various conditions like this. I, I'm, I'm curious about whether that factors into your plans at all at this point about basically vehicles that can not charge themselves, but position themselves to charge because lots of thoughts. Should they go to the urban periphery and be charged there and then come back in or things like this? 
does that factor into considerations at all this winter, even the conversations you have with the, with, with New York City or Nyserta or anyone? Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. And like, I, I, I don't think I've talked significantly about autonomous vehicles in a while. And that's a probably, that deserves its own session. You know, like, Greg, we probably went to three or four of the same AV, you know, conferences 10 years ago. And um, it's really, you know, it, it's really interesting. I mean, the, the EV infrastructure conversation, I feel it's very different. You know, it's really going to happen. And it's so critical critical for climate change. But no, we, we haven't been spending time, you know, talking about how autonomous vehicles could go travel off somewhere to charge up. I mean, you know, there have been other conversations. We're working now with a group that does inductive charging. And, you know, that also continues to have its challenges in the public realm, like the technology is clearly there, but that has a level of complexity that's made it, whether it's snow plows and, you know, how do you deal with, you know, harsh urban conditions with inductive charging. But there are other technological um, opportunities that are still uh, percolating, but not as, you know, not as complex as autonomous vehicles. Have you had your own podcast about autonomous vehicles and, and, and the whys and wherefores of, of that conversation? Not a dedicated one. Uh, we've definitely touched on the issue. We've talked about a lot about the condition of what, what happens when they're all looking for a place to stop for the night once they stop serving whatever purpose they were assigned to. Are they going to be roving around in constant circles looking for parking? Well, I mean, well, I spend time thinking about it, Adam. I mean, you know, when I give talks about this, not to talk about myself too much, but I, to me it's more interesting where, you know, we've seen, for example, I, I worked on some speculative projects for the Bloomberg Philanthropies with my colleague here at Cornell Tech, Anthony Townsend and Brian Boyer, who's at Michigan Taubin now. And they did work there about imagining different types of form factors, smaller vehicles, personalized vehicles and things like this. And I am curious, which goes back to your charging, like, you know, the, the form factor of the car and even larger vehicles is taken as a given. But how does it fit into your plans about urban robotics or autonomous, like electric bicycles and you know, scooters, autonomous scooters, things like this. Well, that's a, that is a very live, huge conversation. And, you know, there are people who will say, you know, why are we putting all this money into EV infrastructure for cars when, you know, the demand for electric bikes is like way greater than the demand, you know, relatively speaking to EV cars. And, you know, that is a, that is a really interesting question. We have a real challenge here in New York City around uh, bike batteries, you know, and, and, you know, it's like, I think the fourth leading cause of fires in buildings now. And, you know, there are a lot of code issues around bike batteries, but that is, that is a really, really important question, you know, where, you know, right sizing batteries and, and urban mobility, you know, how much you can do with electric scooters and electric bikes. I, got to work today on my bike, which I retrofitted, you know, it's got a, it's got an electric front wheel on it and it's completely transformed my journey to work. Um, and so, so I think that's right. Thinking and, and, you know, what that means for charging, you know, I think first, you know, getting code and, uh, you know, battery production, right. For, uh, you know, e-bikes and scooters is very important because that is something that people should be able to do at home. You don't need a garage for that. Um, but then there are other things like Revel, um, uh, you know, and sort of speaking in New York City terms, you know, basically um, 
you know, uh, small uh, Vespa type uh, motorcycles um, that get you around as well. So, so that's a huge conversation and really, really can revolutionize the way we get around the city and also making sure that they work for all ages and all abilities as well. I did really like hearing about this idea of um, a mobile charging unit that comes around and what the potentials might be for that. I, I sort of picture, uh, you know, another sort of way that uh, you could you could form community, like the way that kids get excited about the ice cream man coming down the street. You know, what if what if that uh, kind of vehicle could be made fun? You know, it could be made. Inter- uh, it could have advertising. It could have music. It could have a DJ. And it's like, oh, the charging guy is here. Yay. You know, I, I can foresee that being something where a, a lot of creativity um, could be put to use there. I mean, I guess it's a question of, uh, you know, to what degree do we want corporations to participate in this? Do we want it to be uh, part of the, the the private enterprise universe and take it off the hands and so we don't have to worry about it in the public realm? Or is it something where we, we want to have a, a degree of control over it because we, we care about what kind of communities we're creating and this is part of it? Yeah, I mean, I think there on the kind of scooter e-bike side of things, there have been some interesting proposals out there that they're not uh, ice cream truck related, but they are about like kind of creating that community connection you've described where there was a company that we had been working with and they were really interested in handling their um, recharging of their scooters by uh, getting bodegas and small storefronts to do that for them. And they were gonna kind of, you know, essentially uh, work with bodegas, use it as a way to build up foot traffic to them and, you know, just create a system where they were like plugging in the batteries and someone comes in for a new battery you know, they hand it over and, you know, the person who uh, goes into the store to get the fresh battery gets, you know, a free ride. And so there have been really, I mean, these are, you know, this proposal came from, you know, one of Europe's largest um, e-scooter, e-bike companies. So these are, relatively speaking, in the urban mobility world, large companies that are proposing and thinking about these things. So there is an opportunity, I think, to um, make electrification, urban mobility, something that has a kind of community connection uh, oriented. I don't know where the ice cream comes into it. Maybe you get a free ice cream if you, um, you know, bring in your, your battery to recharge. Um, but that's a cool idea. I'm, I'm totally in support of that. Yeah, I guess this is the last question, Adam. I mean, you know, obviously we discussed like the role of sort of private companies in this. And it is interesting to look at like the history of how America's gas station network sprung up and the incredible monopolistic, uh, you know, control it gave to the, the intersection of the oil companies and automobility. I, I'll never get over. I remember Chris Leinberger once argued, I think, in the option of urbanism that, you know, the famous line, what's good for GM is good for America. It was true at the time. It was like a, like a third to half of American GDP was at that nexus of, of you know, petrol and mobility. And um, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But I guess, yeah, my last question there is is sort of, you know, yeah, who do you imagine your ultimate clients will be in this case? Will it be all of the above? Will it be the cities? Are you fighting for the public alternative? Like, I, I'm curious, like, who are your clients now for? Okay, bang, bang, back to the present to this. And given that the architectural profession is always dependent on who the client is, it's who do you think the ultimate client will be? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, to that sort of paradigm, you know, like, is this local? Is it, you know, going to be some massive corporation? Like, I, you know, I think, 
definitely there's one paradigm for living sustainably, which is more localized, you know, in terms of infrastructure, thinking about microgrids and, you know, ways in which, you know, either it's for local resiliency or even, you know, that provision of energy or feeding back into uh, the larger grid. So we're working, um, you know, at different scales than we were in the 1950s and 60s. And I think that's really encouraging and interesting. And, you know, I think it it dovetails very well with, you know, WXY as, you know, a firm, you know, we really like to think about uh, New York City, particularly where we do most of our work as a kind of ecosystem. You know, we really like to see streets as a place where, you know, you've got multiple kinds of activities and modes happening there. And so real mix of bikes and cars and people walking and rain gardens that capture stormwater and, you know, active shop fronts. And so, you know, thinking about the city in a dynamic way, and so we wind up attracting clients who um, see and align with our vision for that. And, you know, sometimes it may be a developer, you know, who um, really sees how we treat the street level and the ground level. You know, we are obviously we get involved with with development, but I think uh, we are, you know, we have been successful because we have a vision for the way the ground level and the street level can operate. And that is a, you know, positive vision. We've worked for, you know, mobility companies and, you know, again, they've been attracted to us because of the way we think about streets and they have these ideas like how to use bodegas to recharge batteries. So, you know, we, we definitely have a whole range of client types. We work a lot with the city of New York. Uh, as well, Economic Development Corporation, city planning. Um, and, you know, it's all about kind of growing a vision uh, together. Um, but, you know, that kind of more localized vision, you know, something where mix of uses, mix of modes on streets, you know, streets are not so hard lined and, you know, really separating uh, modes in, in such a strict fashion. You know, that's the kind of stuff that gets us excited about um, the way cities are developing now. Uh, the electrification piece is, you know, one part of it. Adam, I want to say thanks very much for spending the time with us. This has been Unfrozen with Adam Lubinsky of WXY Studio talking about equity and electric vehicle charging. That's great. I've really enjoyed being here, Daniel. Great to meet you, Greg. Great to see you again. Great to catch up with you both soon. Mm-hmm.